United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Another big show for you coming today, Thomas Dooley, number five, played over in Germany, had an American father, was discovered in the early 90s, brought over, made the U.S. World Cup team, starred for the U.S. World Cup team that made it to the second round in 1994, and he was the captain of the 1998 team. He played at multiple big-time Germany clubs. He's been the national team coach for the Philippines. He wants a job in MLS. He wants to work in the United States, but it's not happening, and he tells you that he wants it bad. Thomas Dooley kicks off the show. Then we meet two members of our 30 under 30 class, Thomas Coombs and Morgan Ferreira. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. And as you know, as the entire world deals with this pandemic and really unprecedented times, it truly is a time for reflection. I've been doing that of late on the podcast. And for me, reflection means visiting with people that made a big impact on my life at a young age. And arguably, the biggest impact during my time as a press officer for the U.S. World Cup team was made by Thomas Dooley, who was found over in Germany. He does have an American father, but joined the U.S. team and went on to make an amazing impact in the 94 World Cup and, in fact, was the captain of the 98 World Cup, a brilliant career for the U.S., a brilliant career in Germany. He then decided to help the new launch Major League Soccer. He played with the Columbus crew. And then when Lothar Mateus took over the Metro Stars, he helped Lothar for one year before retiring. I could go on and on, and if I did, that would include the fact that he's coached at FC Saarbrücken. He was an assistant coach with the U.S. team and he was a national team coach in the Philippines for quite some time. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, the great Tom Dooley. I have his jersey, by the way. He gave me his jersey from one of the World Cup games that I still have hanging, and Tom Dooley, it's so great to be with you. Thank you so much. I hope you watched it. <laughs> I did. I did watch it, Thomas Dooley, and uh, you're yeah. in Germany right now, so tell me what's going on in Germany. We just watched the Bundesliga again, finally, like we were starved for here in the States, and I know there was no fans allowed, so tell us what's going on in Germany, who you're with, and how you're dealing with this pandemic. I'm working actually in, the, in, in Vietnam as a sports director for a first division team, so right before the season started, I was scheduling my vacation. I want to come over to see my two sons and my family, my mom and dad and my brother here in Germany. I want to stay there for two weeks and then going to the U.S. and see my other son, Levi, in California. And then coming back again to my parents because they're also getting older. They're like 86 and 83 years old. 
and uh, I want to spend some time with them before I'm heading back to Vietnam. And then uh, when I came back from California, my flight was canceled to go back to Hanoi. So I had to stay here until they open up. And then when they open up four weeks later, if I'm going back, well, I have to go into an isolation camp from the government. And my translator over there told me I shouldn't do that. I always checked it out a little bit on the online. And I said, you know, I'd rather stay here with my family, be safe, and time with them until I don't have to go through isolation camp, but I'm going back to Vietnam. So I could actually watch the games on the weekends after months, finally to see some action on the field in the stadium. And it was on one hand, was very exciting to see them play again. On the other hand, uh, it is obviously not the same. So what is your team now that you root for in Germany? I mean, obviously you played at a couple spots in Germany. Do you have a favorite team? I had four favorite teams that I had my eyes on, or maybe actually five. One was Pirmasens, one was FC Homburg, one was Kaiserslautern, because those three teams played in the second division and first division, and they are only between 10 and uh, 20 miles from each other, from my hometown. So I went to those games, watching the second division and first division teams play, and I was actually with the fans in the stands, and I supported the teams on the on the field. And then also my team, my favorite team away was Schalke 04, so I had all those players with uh, the Kramer twins, Fischer forward, Fischer uh, in the back, and Nico the goalkeeper. I had them in life-size in my room, and everything was like Schalke 04, because I couldn't see them live, so that's what, what happened when I grew up. So Thomas, obviously you made a huge impact on that 94 team. You're over in Germany, you're having success, of course, with FC Kaiserslautern and Bayer Leverkusen and FC Hamburg, and all of a sudden, somebody from U.S. Soccer must have called you. What do you remember about who called you? Was it Bill Nuttall? Was it Bora? How did we find you and, and get you wearing the red, white, and blue? The name was Jennifer Hammer. Jennifer Hammer was the one that I met here in Kaiserslautern, and she and her boyfriend were in Washington, and they saw me play, and they said, uh, what was his name? Dooley? Dooley? D-O-O-L-E-Y? That's not a German name. And then uh, uh, Michael Becker, my agent, said, no, he's... He's German, but his father was American. And then Jennifer said, oh, if his father was American, maybe he wants to play for us. Uh, ask him. So they asked me, and I and I immediately I said, uh, of course I would love to play. Because that was the fifth team that I was, not the team, but it was the country that I always had a dream, had the dream of and, and, you know, was uh, uh, looking up to and wanted to visit, and now I got a chance to play for them. But then I got a phone call from Bill Nutter, still a very, very close friend of mine, who was the general manager, and he called me and, and told me that I should come to Chicago because we have to find out what's happening with your situation as an uh, American. So I was born as an uh, American in Germany, but I never got an American passport. So I got the, the German passport when I was nine. I was like in a computer uh, system as an American, but I never applied for a passport. So they had to come to Chicago and uh, with uh, my first person that I met in, I mean, I met uh, Amber Steele and uh, Uri O'Malley, they picked me up, no, and, and uh, yeah, Uri O'Malley and uh, Rudy, they picked me up at the airport and then I met in a hotel later on next morning, Hank. So those are the very close people that I met first time and they are still one of my favorite, besides Dean Linky. Uh, my favorite, favorite guys in the U.S. 
That's well said. I actually had Hank's Time Restaurant on the podcast a couple months ago because his health wasn't doing so great. I understand he's doing better, which is good because he is one of the all-time, as you know, great people of soccer. Okay, so you come over and tell us uh, – how your English was, was it the same as it is now, or did it take a little while to get your English adjusted? It was perfect, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you laughing? No, it was, uh, it was amazing. I grew up, people don't know, normally everybody in, in Germany, not everybody, but 99%, 95% of the people, they have English in school. But I grew up in a state that was close to the French border. My first language in school was French. I had to take six years French where all the other people in Germany in their state, they had English. So it was very difficult for me. And when they found out that I came play for the United States, I never met my dad. I never had a conversation with anybody from America. I never had uh, to visit America. And now I could play for that country. So obviously I don't have any knowledge about the language. So I hired a private teacher and I told her, I can't imagine what they're going to ask me, what kind of questions they're going to ask me when I'm coming over. So I have to give them this kind of an answer. So I wrote like four pages down. She translated for me. I went there three, four times. We talked about it and a little bit about the pronunciation of some words. I had not really a clue what I was saying, but I learned it word for word because I know what it means in Germany. So I just, just learned it. And when I came in, and I remember when uh, we went to the, to the first interview and then uh, uh, one guy came over and then six reporters came over on top of it, and then I could, I had no idea what they were saying, and I, I figured out one word that was kind of, uh, how was it possible? And then I figured, okay, that could be the entrance, and then I just hammered my four pages down from the top to the bottom, and then when I was on the last line, I told them, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm done now, I need to go in. And then they all said, oh yeah, we have enough, we have enough. So that was my first conversation that I had, but then I started just learning through the players. The first couple of months it was very difficult because Paul Caligiuri was my roommate and he he was speaking German always to me. I didn't learn it. So I said after a couple of months, I said, you know, I need a roommate who can't speak German and that was Peter Vermees and he was an awesome teacher. He was the best teacher I've ever had in English. There are so many stories. It's, we don't have the time enough to talk about all those great moments we had with Peter and uh, like I said, he was uh, taking his time. We watched the movie together. I had no idea, but he tried to explain it to me so that I could understand. I woke up next morning, and I knew everything about the movie. It took maybe a couple hours to explain it to me, but it was it was fun. It was great. And I will never be perfect in English, so and I don't care as long as the people understand. You know that I'm I'm not talking out of my butt, and they understand what I'm saying. It's fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, if you think about it, Peter Vermees has gone off to be arguably one of the most successful coaches in a what we can now call a super successful league. I mean, Major League Soccer, 25 years plus, massive crowd, 70,000 game in Atlanta. And Peter Vermees, arguably one of the best coaches, probably, in my opinion, should have got the job for the U.S. National team, although I think Burlotter will be fine. I mean, it was probably those guys one and two. So it doesn't surprise me he was a good teacher. You could tell he was a great leader then, right? Uh, he's awesome. I mean, he he's a good friend. He is uh, uh, very polite. He is very funny. Respect everybody. And uh, the way that he handled the people is like, it's just amazing. So I was very happy to spend uh, a lot of time with him. And uh, I must say that I learned a lot from him. It was great. I, I loved it. Yeah, when you talk about learning English, then you've got Crazy Bora, who was, you know, basically doing Spanglish, right? It was half 
Spanish, half English, half <laughs> Serbian, and that whole mix. But it did seem like Bora right away, you know how he would point his finger at his eye and look at you? Like right away, Bora would point his finger at you, Tom, with Julian, know he had something special. So I got to believe your relationship from the get-go was strong because he knew he had a superstar in you. Yeah, I mean, Bora is an international guy. He, you know, he comes from Europe and uh, lived in Mexico, and and he's a funny guy. He, you know, look at now he has like five World Cup. He coached five World Cup teams. Not everybody. There are only like four or five who did that. It's amazing that guy. And he was a perfect coach at that moment, '94 or between '92 and '94. And I learned so much from him when I was there because I once. You remember in '93, I was taking off from the Bundesliga, and I wanted I want to spend time with the team and train and prepare for the World Cup, and and it was uh, it was an unbelievable experience that I had with that guy, and, and it was amazing. He was a great person, a, a great human being, and uh, and a great teacher too. Well, and I love that you said that because that's part of the, my love for you, Thomas Julie, is by you leaving Germany to stay with us in. Mission Viejo, and we traveled the world, and we went to Saudi Arabia, and went all over Europe, and went down to South America, and we went everywhere, Thomas Julie, but then we got to come back and live in sunny California. You didn't have to do that. You could have kept playing in the Bundesliga and just pop in here and there and still make the World Cup. Talk about that decision to do all of that. It was an easy decision. My contract ended in Kaiserslautern, and obviously they want me to stay and sign a new contract, but I was thinking, you know, if I'm going to, you know, play in a World Cup, I need to get to know the players a little bit better. I need to get to know the the language. I need to learn the language, and I need to go to, need to get to know the players. You know how they play. Maybe I can help a little bit here. I can help a little bit there. And I loved that country. The same as I said before, I had four favorite teams. And that's what I was trying to say. I had four favorite teams that I always watched from the fan base with all the colors. And I got an opportunity to play on the ground and have the biggest success with those teams. Is it Schalke, UEFA Cup, Germany, uh, Kaiserslautern, the, uh, the Cup, the Super Cup, the Championship uh, with uh, uh, Homburg's Championship in the, in the third division, second division, first time ever in the Bundesliga, in Pirmasens, and now I got the dream to visit America and not just visit it, I can play for that country. You have no idea what that meant. It, it was unbelievable. And I could do that, and I, you know, I said there's no... I mean, you can give me, uh, I don't know what kind of money you could give me at that time. I would choose to go to California and live with the players together and get to know that country, get to know the players and prepare for the World Cup. That was, that was huge for me, huge. It was huge. Now, as you're forming those bonds, what do you remember, Thomas Dooley, about the days, you know, we're starting to lead up to naming the roster. You knew you were going to be on there. You were a starter every time, but... For instance, a guy like Peter Burmese did not make the team. A guy like Chris Henderson did not make the team. What do you remember about talking to them after they weren't named to the final roster? Obviously, you know, Desi was cut before. Uh, Brian Quinney got cut before. This is a professional, you know, environment, and uh, we don't have to make a decision. Now, as a coach, it's obviously hard, and every coach has his own philosophy and and the view of uh, of a player and and as a player you see you you are a situation totally different than a coach and sometimes a coach is wrong and sometimes a coach is right for me it's like difficult to say because i 
lost four friends in that uh, in that team. I was a very close friend with Chris Henderson. I was close friend with Quinny and Desi too. So Peter and all those guys, they were like they were like really close together. And and to not having them after a year living together, breathing together, not being a part of that in those four weeks as a professional, you know, it hurts you. But you also have to start being focused on something else. That's why you at the moment you are very sad about it, and you trying to put yourself in the shoes of the players what they think and what can you say you know just can give them a hug and say you know I'm sorry and, and then what can we do so and then you have to move on and you have to think about you know what needs to get done to be successful for the country so that's the professional level well you had success pretty early you got your citizenship in 92 you made your debut then in 93 you were named the U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year for good reason you scored incredible goals you scored the first goal in what was a monumental victory over England, and then arguably one of the best games the U.S. has ever played, even in a loss, was to Germany, where you're playing against all these people that you know and respect, and they know you, and you scored a goal again that was 4-3 to three in Chicago. I remember both those games like they were yesterday, Thomas, to you. Uh-huh. Then you didn't look, you can't remember that well anymore, because I scored two goals, not one. <laughs> That's right, you scored the first and the third goal. Yeah, the first and third goal against Germany. You're right, of course. Yeah, yeah you, so, right. Yeah, I mean, how can I forget that game? First of all, it was my first game, the first goal that I scored was against England, uh, a team that we have won maybe for 50 years. And then in the second half, Paul Inge, that guy, fouled me so bad, he killed me, and I still have pictures of it that he did on purpose, he's trying to hurt me. I'm pretty sure I torn all my ligaments in my ankle and I had to come off. Alexi Lalas came in for me and he scored the second goal. That was fantastic. And then, because I couldn't walk anymore, the doctor said for the next three days or four days, you cannot touch, you cannot walk. Just use those crutches and don't step onto your foot. And then Bora said, it doesn't matter if you can play or not, but you have to walk onto the field. I had so much pain. And uh, on the day where we trained before the game, the day before the game, uh, that was the first time I stepped onto the field and had a lot of uh, tight tape on my my ankle. And I had, like, pain like crazy. I couldn't twist. I couldn't take a shot. I mean, it was amazing. And right before training, actually, Germany trained before us. Right before training, there was the German biggest uh, TV show, is um, Saturday night, the sports show, football show, and they had an interview with me and with uh, Betty Fox, the coach. So then they're asking me too about Thomas, you're playing against your old buddies and, uh, you know, everybody in Germany who knows you is going to watch you and hope that you're not doing anything against the German team. So I'm thinking, yeah, I know, and I uh, just am glad that I... I can walk onto the field because after that foul against the England, I wasn't allowed to walk. So I was like so angry because now everybody that I know is going to watch the game and I'm not 100% fit. You know, if you want to play, you know, every German is watching it. And they mentioned my name in the game for sure that I played in Kaiserslautern and German too and yada, yada, yada. So it, it's huge. And I just don't want to, you know, get onto the field and after five minutes they take me off. Or maybe play 90 minutes and I'm not doing, I'm not playing well. So that would be my first time where I'd be really in the picture. And I was like nervous before and I said, oh my gosh. And Bora said, you know, Thomas, just walk onto the field. 
because our players are a little bit afraid of the Germans and you are with them walking on it then you know and talk to them that they see they are really also humans and no robots and uh, I, rem I remember when we were staying in the in the uh, in the hallway to get to the walk to the field. Kobe was like looking at the guys and they get, I'm gonna have a basketball game over here. <laughs> that was funny. And yeah, and then I scored two goals and I I didn't care about the game with the pain in my foot. I just was going and so if they can if they have to do something and put me in the hospital after the game, I don't care. I want to play. I love it. All right, so now you're rolling on, and we get ready. That was one year prior to the World Cup. We get to the World Cup, and, of course, we beat Colombia, and you played a key role in that as well. And you're playing in the midfield with Ramos on one side, Hart's on the other, and then Mike Sorber. And Mike Sorber was a guy that a lot of people were like, wait, what's, what's he doing on the roster? But it worked with you and Mike Sorber. Why did it work so well? Because Mike is a very clean player. He is uh, very defensive-minded. Uh, he holds his position, and he also is a uh, like a clean player. When he when he passes the ball, they are most likely accurate. He's not trying to triple. He's trying. He's always available and uh, you know plays some nice passes. And uh, that's what you need in the midfield. You don't need somebody who you know get the ball and dribbles and losing the ball and that kind of a player. So he was, uh, in that case, it was perfect because I like to go forward and uh, I like to take the opportunity to help the offense a little bit more than in the defense. And it was like a perfect mix with me and him in the midfield where I have a little bit more freedom to step up and uh, he took a little bit more of the role of the defensive part. It's often, you don't, you're not looking for the players who are doing those fancy things. As a coach, when you're looking out from the outside, and you will understand, you know, the role of a player, how he's doing. It's the same with me when, when the people was not talking a little bit about how, how much that I'm running. And when I got my red shoes and uh, after the game, the people were saying, oh, my gosh, you are all over the place. I mean, you're in the back and front and the left and the right. And now they recognize me because with the red shoes. The red shoes were everywhere. And I figured, yeah, now, you see, you have to, you have to because otherwise you're looking all over the place. And they don't know what the, the, sometimes the players do on the field, only the ones who either score or maybe, you know, kicking somebody over the fence in the back. So, Thomas, that's a great answer. Um, but because you played at such a high level in Germany with all these superstars that actually played for Germany in that World Cup, when, Mike Sorber aside, when you saw the skills of a Tab Ramos, Anna Ernie Stewart, Anna Eric Winalda, Anna Roy Wegerly, Anna Claudia Arena, and John Hart, did you know, like, hey, we're going to be okay here? Yeah, I mean, I'm always a positive uh, thinking guy anyhow. I'm not afraid of playing against Brazil or Colombia or any other teams. We just have to fight, you know, and the mentality. Look, when I started coaching, then you start thinking about all the, the little parts because there's no key for success. There is a combination, like a safe. You have to go a little bit right, a number here, and then you go ten times left, and the number here, and so back and forth and back and forth to open the safe. There's no key. And this safe, I think that I figured out what is necessary to build a successful team. I was thinking about all the, the teams that we have where I, when I was playing and we were successful in Kaiserslautern, in Homburg, in, in Schalke 04, in a World Cup 98, and which teams where we failed, like in 98, 
uh, 98 World Cup, 94 was great, 98 was horrible. Why it didn't work out in Leverkusen? Why it didn't work out in Kaiserslautern that year? Why it didn't it work out in Pirmasen? So when you start thinking about all those moments, and then you figure out there are two ways. One is for success, the other one is for failure. And if you go for the one route, then you fail. And that's what happening in with the teams that that I that we had in '94. I'm 100% sure that it's going to work because we were a team. Even we had 60% players from the from college. We had a a team that worked together, and uh, the strength of the unity and the collective was amazing. That is what you need to be successful. Can we win the World Cup? Of course not. But can we make some surprises? Yes, and we did. 98 was the exact opposite. And that's what you can see if you have that kind of a chemistry and the wipe, the energy in there. It's designed for failure. It can't work out. And that's, I saw in those two ways with the teams that we had success was always the same. And the team where we failed was always the same too. Thomas Dooley, number five, one of the all-time greats. Thomas, you didn't come back the first year of MLS, but then you did join the Columbus crew in the second year of MLS. What went into that decision? Because I had a, a contract in Chicago 04, and uh, my contract ended in 97. I could have stayed one more year if I want to, but I decided to go and play in the MLS. So I couldn't come in 95 because I still had a contract in in the... Uh, in 96, I had a contract with Schalke 04. The situation was with Schalke, as you maybe remember, I always came. I'm trying to play as many games for the national team as possible. Sometimes in the winter, we had the break. We had the Copa America. We had the U.S. Cup. And I always went because I want to play for the U.S. So we had qualification at that beginning of the year. And um, when I came back, they asked me about Thomas, the, the manager, the coach, the assistant coach. They came and said, Thomas, because you're always gone for two weeks or ten days and then you're coming back, how often do you have to leave? And I said, in the next five months, we have three more games with a qualification and I have to go. The assistant coach was saying, where do you get your money? You get your money here, you get your money in the U.S. And I said, that has nothing to do with where you make your money. You don't understand that. This is my country that I'm playing for. It uh, has nothing to do with money. I need to be there because we want to qualify. I am the second captain in the team, so if I'm not going there, that would be a horrible sign for the players, and I'm not going to do that. And then the head coach says, yeah, but then I cannot count on you. When you are gone for 10 days, you're coming back. I cannot let you start. And I said, I understand, and I totally you know, understand that. If I'm coming back, you won't let me play, then I sit on the bench. You can count on me. If I'm playing only half of the field or maybe last 20 minutes, you can count on me that I'm getting everything that I have. They said, uh, what do you want to do next season? And I said, uh, uh, the Columbus crew wants me that I should come to the MLS, but I would like to stay here because we still can win the UEFA Cup and uh, coaches, coaches uh, great training. And the coach was there too. Great training and uh, everything is uh, is nice. I don't know the coach personally uh, uh, so well, but you know training is excellent. I couldn't learn from it. The, the manager was saying that the coach said, uh, you know, if I stay here, and the coach was sitting right next to me, if I stay here, then he wants to get younger players. And I said, if I'm being the fifth player on the wagon, then I don't want to stay. 
So if I'm, you know, counting as an original player and I can fight for my job, I would love to do that. But if they don't count on me anymore and I be left behind, then obviously I'm going. So from that day on, that's how stupid it is. They never talked to me. The coach and the assistant coach just left me on the left side. He was hoping that I would go against it and <clears throat> would say something, but I never did. I did the opposite. So I, I played, uh, uh, when he built groups, he built me in a group with the younger players or with the amateur players. I didn't care. I just want to train. I want to show him that you make a big mistake. So and that's why uh, that went for two months, or for two weeks. And then I said after those two weeks, so you know what, I told uh I so I'm going, I'm leaving. I mean, I I told you before, if I'm being like this, if they want to show me like that, I'm gone. Then I signed with the Columbus Crew and I went to the U.S. Did you enjoy your time in Major League Soccer with the Columbus Crew and that one year with Lothar Mateus at uh, <clears throat> Metro Stars? Yeah, I love I loved Columbus. The people are so nice over there. It's really calm, lived outside in Hilliard. It was very nice. I had a great time. Uh, uh, Jamie, the general manager, we had a good... Tom Fitzgerald, there was a was a great guy. We had in the end, we had a little bit of an issue, but uh, he was a great guy when he was there. And then uh, what else? Uh, Lamar Hunt, I met him obviously personally, and 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 learned what kind of amazing person he is, and uh, how how down to earth he is. It was it was great. I met Al Businski. Uh, we still uh, very close contact with each other. He was with the media. Very great guy. We just talked about uh, with each other last week. Uh, Paul Howard, who worked with the company and uh, with the crew at that time. So it's really Amy. So I had a beautiful, beautiful three and a half years. Then I want to retire, and you know, New York called me and asked me if I would like to come one more season because New York was always. That's another fine story. New York was always uh, last for this huge, big city they just couldn't handle it in the MLS great players but uh, no team they asked me if I would come and would like to support uh, Lothar Mateus with Lothar and me we can lead and tap we can lead the team to you know to success at least we're getting out of the button Tony Miola was there it was fun it was great and then I said you know what yeah before I'm moving to California, I'm going to New York and live in New York and, and try to help that team. And in the summertime or after the, after the league, I got the Fair Play Award. And when I got the trophy in L.A., I had to have the speech. And I said, if somebody deserves this Fair Play Award, it's me. And then everybody is laughing. And I said, you don't have to laugh. If you know me, I'm playing 20 years now. And I play center midfield against the strongest players from the offense, or I play center back against the strong forward. I never in those 20 years I got a red card. I never had to sit out with four or five yellow cards. As a center back or a defensive midfield player, I want to see somebody who has done that. So I got the trophy. My first game in New York in the preseason, I went to, to them, played there. I want to show them that we have to fight to be successful. I was, my first game against Columbus against my teammates, I was tackling everybody. I was <laughs> slight tackling. I was killing everybody. They were flying left and right. I mean, I was like laughing when I hit the guys and the referee didn't say anything. And in the second half, after 20 minutes in the second half, uh, Robert Garcia again dribbled and I slide tackled again, came a little bit late, 
I didn't touch him, and he was falling down, and the ref can't give me a red card. I was standing up, laughing at the ref. I said, why are you laughing? I said, you know what, can I say something? No, you get off the field. I said, no, listen, I deserve this red card. I mean, I should have gotten that in the first half. That's how, <laughs> my, how, many, how many fouls I did. But right now, you gave me a red card. I didn't even touch that guy. Get off the field. And so I was laughing and saying, I deserve this, but I hope the players get the point. So we were successful. We, we won the Eastern Championship that year, and I think we lost in the semifinal against Chicago in a cup game. How hard was it to decide that you weren't going to play anymore, Thomas? How hard was it to hang up your boots? Not really, because of... Uh, because, yeah, I played 20 years, and I really fell apart. I was in New York. I was so many times injured. My hamstrings, my calves, I pulled my calf, I pulled my hamstring. I played two games, I pulled my squat, I pulled my stomach. I mean, I had injuries left and right. And I, and I was also, when you be with Mike Pence and, and, uh, I can't even remember all the guys who played with me. They were like 18, 19 years old. They were like, you know, they're younger than my son. And then they came in, we came out in the elevator, and then their coach, who was younger than me, tells me, oh, tomorrow we have to wear the white polo and then uh, the red polo. And I came down the elevator, and one of the fans once was saying, said, are you, are you the coach? And I said, you know what, I think it's about time to retire. So it's kind of, you know, you're a little bit older than the players, of the players, and, and I was like 39 years old. I can't, I, in the summer I turned 40. So it's it's enough. And then my last game, that's another story too. My last game was I, an injury again. I was 10 times in the hospital my whole life with, with injuries. My last one, I cut all my ligaments in my shoulder against in that game against Chicago. And uh, I couldn't move my arm anymore, so I had to have a surgery later on. So I finished my career also with an injury and got a surgery, and that's what I, what I figured out. I mean, I'm done. But the story with that is, my son got married be like uh, almost a year before or maybe five six months before and i told him you know please be careful please be careful six months if you can hold for six months because i don't want to be in the guinness books that uh, i'm the first grandpa who plays professional football <laughs> so, and, and that's and that's what he said okay i'm don't worry and when I was, and I never forget that I got in the in the halftime I got like four or five injections in more in my my shoulder that I should play in the second half and I said you know I can't I I still feel the same pain it's too much pain I I'm done and then they switched me so I stayed in the locker room everybody walked out I got my phone I called my son and I said Marco now you can do whatever you want <laughs> and. And the next summer when they came, they told me that uh, they they uh, they are pregnant or she's pregnant. That was <laughs> was nice. I love that. So it was fine. It was it was a good time to be a grandpa, just not while you you were playing. All right. Well, Thomas, exactly. before you go, give us the journey for you after you're done. You retire. You just make a decision to end up being a coach. You end up in the Philippines. Now I think you said you're in Vietnam. So yeah. So you you hang it up. I know you spent a little time with Jurgen Klinsmann, but just walk us through your past coaching. Yeah. When I worked with Jürgen, I was like, it was fun. Jürgen called me once in the morning and I we're going to meet. And then he said, you know, I have a, uh, we have a problem against 
Mexico. And I said, no, you have a problem. He said, no, I want you to be on my side for another maybe three, four games, and then we will see what, you know, what are the options that we might have with U-20s or Olympic teams, stuff like that. So that was nice. It was uh, fun working with him. And then I um, was assistant coach with Cap. That was uh, incredible. So we had this big tournament in Mexico when we qualified for the World Cup in Turkey. I was hungry. I said, you know, I, I really want to coach. Uh, so I did my coaching license before, obviously. And, uh, and now I said, I need to, I need to get my, my ha hands on my own team. So actually, I started with the development academy team, the Padiadors. You know, they were in last place, and I want to ask uh, if I can help them. Uh, I asked the president if I can help you, like, one or two times a week to coach the U18s and the 16th. They are both in last place. They haven't won a game. They tied three games, didn't win one in a, in a whole season. And they said, you know, Thomas, that would be fantastic. Make a long story short, and I said, I don't want to be, you know, kicking out the other coaches, but I just want to be you know, helping a little bit. And then, they, then he said, you know what, forget about the U16, just take over the U18s. And I worked with the coach and we worked together. It was, it was nice. With that team, I started first to be honest with them and, and really to the point. With that team, we won the, the U.S. Uh, Development Academy League. We won first place. We had to forfeit 11 games, got 3-0, went from first place in the last, then we had 17 games. Uh, the last 70 games we had to win to finish first with all the teams like uh, Seattle, like Vancouver, Galaxy, Chivas, Real Salt Lake, all those teams in there. We won 17 games in a row. After that, we went to the playoffs. We won six playoff games, and we won the semifinal, and we won the final with that team. So that was, for me, like a point that, you know what, I think it works, what I was figuring out. Like I told you before, the combination, how can you make a team successful? So then I went to, uh, I got the offer to coach the Philippine national team, and I broke 11 records with them, and finished actually, I was four years there, finished actually the last two years. The biggest success was actually winning games in the qualification. They never won a game before, and with me we won three games and uh, tied one. And then uh, when we had the first, the last one was the, the biggest success was the qualifying first time for the Asian Cup, unbeaten. So we, we didn't lose one game in a qualification, and uh, I did everything alone. I didn't have an assistant coach or nothing, just a goalkeeper coach. So that was uh, was great. I had to sort out uh, a player. I kicked out a player twice, and then when we had this biggest success, the biggest in history, of the Philippine football, the management was asking me if I bring him back in, and I said, no, if you want a success, it's not about the best players, about the best team. Every time when he was there in the last four years, we didn't win one game. <clears throat> we only had problems in the camp. The players are not playing their potential, and uh, every time when he was out, when I kicked him out twice, all the games, all the success that we had was without him. So if you want success, no. If you want to keep on doing with with him, then uh, obviously it doesn't work. And then they didn't continue my, give me a new contract. So they were sad to see because I like that team. There's a, a special road that you want to go. If you go that road, you're going to be successful. If you take another road, then you can, you may have failure. And the new coach that they had and the management, the road that he went was uh, leading to failure. So and then I uh, took a year off, and then I was waiting for another coaching position, and then I got the offer to 
do the sports director and detail and if the coach doesn't do well they want me to give me the, the chance to coach that team it's an incredible team they just moved up from the, from the second division into the first they have 10 national team players in the club they have uh, four playing in the first team and then they have uh, three or four playing in the U23s and uh, two playing in the under U20s they have an incredible academy. They are, technically, they are all very, very developed. Uh, tactically, maybe not, and that could be my my part. Uh, you get the team ready. So, and uh, again, but I don't like to be a sports director. I like to be a coach because I I need to get into the mindset of the players with my meetings, with my my view of football and how we're going to play and how we're going to train and. That's why I told them also. If I, as soon as I get the coaching job, I am gone and I can uh, I can leave, and they agreed. Thomas, really, just two more questions with you because when we think about your fascination and love with the uh, United States of America as well, and wearing the red, white, and blue, and now that Ernie Stewart is with the U.S. national team, and Brian McBride is also with them, and all your teammates are either coaches over here in MLS or USL or they're big time. TV celebrities like Alexi Lawless and the long-haired Priscilla Balboa. What has been holding you back from taking a job in the States as a coach, either with MLS or USL or with U.S. soccer? Nothing. I applied, I don't know how many times I applied for a job with a national team, with the youth national team, U-17s, with U-18s. Uh, with the Olympic teams, Jürgen was pushing me for the Olympic team. Tap was getting the U20s. I was uh, applying for many teams. I had conversations with Kevin Payne uh, uh, among the last two. I didn't get the job. Um, I was trying to get in the UFL. One response I got was like, "I'm overqualified," and I think, oh, "What the heck does that mean?" I, they need to go to AYSO and all that stuff and I wouldn't do it. They get heck yeah, I would do it. I'm, I did that with my clubs over here in California too. This is a, the, the dumbest thing I've ever heard that you're overqualified for a second division team. So I, and I tried last year again and it's kind of, I don't know. I, I, we have to ask them what, what do they think? Maybe because I'm, I have a certain view about how I want to train how I want to play and it doesn't fit some of them maybe they don't want to give away power they think maybe I would too dominant to do things that I want to do and I'm I'm also because I'm driven by success I had so much success as a player and now I have success as a coach too I've been fired from from a coaching position and I in the last eight years my uh, success as a coach is it's just going up and I don't know why they believe always in somebody who got fired two or three times before because it didn't work and now they give him a chance to coach that team until he gets fired again and then get the next one or maybe it's a it's a body who gets in it's tough i mean i i don't know why what the reason is and i was always thinking with all my experience that i have as a player in the bundesliga how they how we train how we see the game and um, with the coaching license that i had with germany and the connections that I have with coaches, I didn't understand that the college coach got a chance to, you know, to prove that he understands football and could, you know, lead the team better than me. It's not like any football player is a good coach, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, 
the time that I spent, I learned everything from the peak. Like uh, I, I was 18 and playing in the 11th division. By the way, uh, I'm working on my movie, and so I hope you're going to promote that movie when it's coming out. When I was 18, I was playing in, uh, in, uh, in the 11th division, and I made it happen because I read a book of the power of subconscious mind and totally changed my life, uh, the view of life. And, uh, and started working hard and, and goal setting. It's kind of, uh, you know, a very exciting moment, uh, and I had to go to huge steps. I had to, you know, sign my first contract. Six or eight months later, I started training. No alcohol, no, no, drink, no drinking, no, uh, no nicotine, no smoking, or training every day, good eat, uh, eat a lot, uh, good stuff, and uh, get some sleep, get some rest, training every day. So after six months, I, I signed a contract in the third division. Two weeks later, I got the um, I got to see the doctor. He did a blood test of my uh, my blood and and came back and said, "You're going to sit in a wheelchair. You don't uh, you you can't play anymore. You cannot work anymore. You know, my life just fall apart." And I just made and I still made it. How can you make it? And if you you know put that into into the player's life and uh, I understand I went through everything I understand how the players feel when they have problems with the with the coach with the players with the media with the management with the wife with the girlfriend with the whatever teammates so I know how they feel when they want to go and sneak out of the hotel I know how they feel when they score the winning goal when they make a huge mistake so nobody can make an X one Y and uh, and I, that's why I'm thinking it would be perfect to get the opportunity to lead players like that uh, in in a, in a professional club. But I never got a chance. I tried 20 times until last year, and then I gave up. So I want to get to the movie, but uh, one more question. It's kind of a double question before we get to the movie and wrap up our time with the great Thomas Julie, number five for the USA, such a key part of that 1994 World Cup. Thomas, one, do you think because of what happened with Jurgen Klinsmann, that is affecting your chances? And if not, if FC Cincinnati, for instance, called you tomorrow, and I'm sure they're okay with their coach, but they had great success with their crowds. They haven't won a ton of games. If FC Cincinnati called you tomorrow and said, hey, we want you to be the head coach of the Cincinnati MLS team, would you take it? That's a good question. One is, I don't think that it's because of Jürgen Klinsmann. If somebody makes a decision not giving me the opportunity because I work with them, the Federation came to me and asked me which coach that you should take. I was telling them I would take Jürgen. I told them two or three times I would take Jürgen. He changed football in Germany, and I think he could change football in the, in the United States too. I'm still good friends with Jürgen. When I be in California, we see each other. Just to say, like, because I know him, I like him, or we are friends, I'm not taking Thomas, that's crazy. I don't think that's the case. I think the case could be more than uh, I'm... I have my ideas how I would like to play, and uh, and some people, I don't know, maybe they think that I would like to take them stuff away with the, the power that they have, and I'm not. I want to be successful. I want to make a team successful, and that's what I'm giving and working for. And again, if there's a player who is sneaking out of the hotel every night, and when he's in, he's t telling the players, I'm the best, you're a loser, you're all that stuff. If you have players like this in, I kick that guy out. I don't care if he has, uh, you know, makes $15 million or not. 
If he's a source, then I need to ask clubs, what do you want? You want success? Or you want a show team? So if they want a show team, say, okay, then I know who's playing who's not playing because it's not about success. If somebody said, I want to have success, say, okay, then I need to leave. I need to make a lineup. I cannot, my manager tell me, oh, this guy has to play, that guy has to play. I'm working with those guys on a single day. And that's a trust that you have to have as a coach. And maybe some of the management, they were like, oh, Thomas is too, you know, he wants to do everything on his own. I mean, I'm a coach. I'm in charge of the, of the lineup. If we don't win the games, it's my head that is falling, you know. Hang down your head down to Hang down your head down to So if FC Cincinnati <laughs> calls tomorrow, though, are you taking it? It depends. Because I'm right now in a conversation with a Japanese club. And uh, as we speak tonight, I'm waiting for a phone call. Because of coronavirus, it's a little bit difficult. And you know how Japan is always a little bit more reserved and uh, waiting a little bit longer and make a little bit looking through everything. If, uh, if that would go through, I'm going to Japan. Because that's where I had an agreement with them already. It's just the government has to open it up that we can sign the contract. So, and that's in hold. But if I'm getting tonight that they say, you know what doesn't work, Cincinnati comes tomorrow, I'm not even going to Vietnam anymore. I would go straight to Cincinnati. One time a, a, a team was saying that, uh, oh, he doesn't know the, the league very well or he doesn't know the other teams very well. And I was thinking, this is such a crazy comment that they make because the first, you need, your need, team needs to function. If your team doesn't function, that's the first thing that you have to work on. It doesn't matter about the opponent at the moment. It's about my team. That team, they need to understand how to run, what to do, what is my position, what is my responsibility, how are we going to play, self-confidence and all that stuff. That has to be implemented to the team that they play good and strong football as a team. Then you have your scouts anyhow. And you're watching the game from the opponent anyhow. So you watch one game or two game from the opponent, then you understand how they're going to play. You get the clips about the other teams, and it takes you 30 minutes to get clips about some of the, the players. That's why the team has four, five, six, seven coaches, and one is a scout. He, he needs to be responsible let me know what he thinks. But if my team sucks, how, what do you want to do? It doesn't matter if you know the other team or not. You're going to lose anyhow. <laughs> yeah, you need to have your own team that they're playing strong and as a unit. So, look, Kaiserslautern, from the second division, they won the championship, moved up in the first division, division and immediately won the championship. With FC Homburg, we were in last place in the second division. Not last place, one point before the uh, re uh, relegation. And uh, a year later, we won the championship and moved in the first division. With Kaiserslautern, we were in last place. And with one point ahead of the end of the season, we stayed in the league. We won the cup that two weeks later, and uh, a year later we won a championship. Something happened in that team, and it's always the same. If the players understand what is necessary to be successful, and they organize that, and they, they put that into the, to the game, into the field, into the camp, and all that stuff, then you will be successful. It's, it's that easy if the team functions. But if the players don't know, Ask the players, what's the most important thing, the two most important thing in the game? 
the answer you get is, oh, uh, the team is very, uh, you know, you have to be uh, competitive, you have to be positive, you have to play like a unit, and you have to put pressure on them and do it as a, uh, you know, as a collective team and stuff like that. You know what the two most important thing is in the game? Tell me. You need to score a goal and you can't get one. That's the most <laughs> important thing. And the players don't think about that. And if you infiltrate that into the players that the defenders know, my job is no goal against us. That's my focus for 90 minutes. If I can score in a corner or in a free kick, that's great. I mean, who doesn't love that? You are in the game. You are a defender, center back. Your job is that they don't score. Nothing else. You don't have to play a nice 150 meter pass or an, a perfect penetration ball behind the defense and all that stuff. No. You need to destroy their offense that they are not having it. They don't have a chance to score. And if every single one knows that, then you have a team. And everybody needs to understand that you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes because mistakes are part of the game. Dean, if you make a mistake, you don't want to be in the paper tomorrow with the headline, Dean made a mistake, we lost one nothing, and now championship is over. You don't want that. So when you make a mistake, you hope that I'm helping you. Don't you? Right. Absolutely. Because I'm making mistakes, I want you to help me too. And if you get that into the players in, that's 20% of the game. Before we let you go, the two most important things for me are not about who scores and who doesn't score. They're one, about getting you back to the States with a job, and then two, promoting this movie. So as we wrap it up, tell me about this movie. What are you talking about? I had a speech in the Philippines, big speech. There was like over 3,800 billboards was my, my picture on it and talking about uh, anything is possible and uh, talking about my life. So and there was an audience, was a guy who came later on and he said, hey, uh, Thomas, I heard about you a lot and I wanted to hear what you have to say. And he said, I'm a producer in L.A. and I want to make a movie out of it. So, and I said, oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, and he said, would, be, would you be interested? And I said, yes. I mean, I, a lot of people were saying you need to write a book uh, because it's so inspiring and stuff. And I said, uh, and even somebody was also saying that why don't we make a movie about it? And I said, uh, yeah, would be interesting because I, I like movies and I like, uh, I like stuff like that. And he said, you know, let's do a documentary. And I said, no. I don't want a documentary because uh, people are not interested in documentary. And I'm not a football guy like Beckham or uh, Messi or Ronaldo that people are going to watch. So what I would like to do is I would like to send a message. I would like to make it, send a message that you can achieve anything in life you want. If you follow some rules, let's say, you know, uh, not following the rules, and I don't want to point out to, you know, that's what you have to do. I just want to make it interesting and because in, in the movie you have always every, every eight, ten minutes you have to a high or a low, uh, to keep the people interesting. And when I, when I wrote down the book or wrote down the script, I could see that there are so many things what is exciting and it's was, what is very difficult. You know, just like I said, the situation that I, was in a blue collar worker and uh, and uh, started with nine years old and and played in a hometown with fifteen hundred people or a thousand people in the eleventh division, the lowest division. And uh, a guy came from an insurance company and asked me, "Are you happy with your life?" And I said, "Actually not. I'm working eight hours a day, 
if I want to get 50 bucks more, I have to wait another two years or maybe I have to, you know, kiss my boss's ass. And uh, he said, uh, and, and, I, and another, I play in 11th division. So he said, come over to my office and um, let's talk. So obviously he wants me to sell insurances for him, but uh, he had an amazing message. So he, he energized me so much. And then he leads into, you know, recommended two books, The Power of Subconscious Mind and Jonathan the Living Seagull. And I was reading it and I used to just start reading books about the power of subconscious mind or successful people, Anthony Robbins and all that stuff, and figured out what my life should look like and, uh, and started, you know, setting the five keys. That's why the number five comes up. You know, that's why I always try to get the number five when the team that I went to because uh, the five important keys in, in to be successful. One is you have to have a clear goal. Second, you have to have a plan. You have, the third is you have to be active, uh, carry out your plan. The fourth, you have to believe. And the fifth, you have to dream from it. If you do all those things and it's a realistic goal, you can achieve it. So because of that, I there's like, you know, a, a hero in my little village who played in, a, in the third division. Uh, he came in in the bar and we looked at him as a hero and uh, I mean amazing, look at his legs, oh my gosh, what a guy, he's a professional player. And I, I was driving myself always when I, when I trained to think, to dream about him, I want to be like him, I want to walk into the village, into the bar that the players, the people looking at me like that and, and then six months later I signed the contract in the same level where he was playing. And then two weeks later, the doctor says, oh, you're going to sit in a wheelchair. You cannot work anymore. You cannot play football anymore, nothing. And that kind of goes up and down and up and down and up. Before my first game was a big thing. Then the situation, the game that I had with Steve Sampson in a in, in very important game against Costa Rica where he didn't want to let me play. And I went into his room the, day, the night before the game and, and told him what I think. And uh, the next day I was playing. So it's all, all those conversations, so it's going back and forth and back and forth. And the time when the Philippines, how I get the, the, the team that I played with U18s and the Patriotors in, in California and the development, the development Academy, then the Philippines national team, success. Even the, the, the most important game, the most important game we played was a huge disappointment from the Federation because they didn't support me at all in the last two years with nothing, even in the most important game. And that will all be clear understanding and be made it with all the speeches that I had with the players and uh, before the game, halftime, or not before the game and in, in the camps and what the players had to go through with the flights. With, I mean, there's so much stuff in there. It will be very, very interesting, uh, that kind of movie. Definitely buying tickets for that movie. What's going to be the name of the movie, Thomas Cooley? What's the name? We don't, we don't know yet because I'm, I, as you know, uh, firsthand that my first language is not uh, English. So obviously I had a writer uh, who was writing the script and he had no clue about football. He had no clue about what I was thinking. And I said, you know, it doesn't work. I have to write it. So I wrote the whole script and... Uh, and uh, had a synopsis and had a, the look line and stuff like that, all the things you need. And then I um, I was trying to find an agency and trying to find a writer. And I have a writer now that uh, she is actually putting everything in uh, in in the perfect script. And then when we have that perfect script in 
the next three, four months, we're trying to find, you know, support and the director and the producer. I'm, it's obviously, it's like a chicken and the egg, you know. You can have yeah. great actors in, great actors in there, and it would be a great movie, or you have to start with, uh, with low budget and, uh, find some upcoming guys who, uh, maybe can do the job. So, but I think with Puma, Puma can be, like, a huge, they would, like, in a 90 minute movie, they could be 70 minute in the movie, they could be seen. <laughs> I can already see Brad Pitt playing Tom Dooley. I was actually, uh, uh, um, the McConaughey, that's, that's the one that's that I would like to, to that I would like to have him because, because he's a football kind of a guy now and, uh, yeah, I like yeah. him the way, I like the way he talks. I, I watch so many, you know, inspiring, uh, messages that he sent and, uh, and this was my, this was my type of conversations that I had with my players, you know, in those uh, in those moments when we had those important games. So I, uh, I could, I would, that would be nice. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, yeah, he's involved with the FC Austin team for MLS. Yeah. For the MLS in a couple of years. So, and he looks like you. He's got, uh, I don't think he's as tall as you, but, the, you know, with cinema, they can make that happen. And I can tell you right now, <laughs> Dean and Leah Linky, Dean and Leah Linky are buying tickets for the whole family. <laughs> to see that movie, and I think I got the name. So the song is "Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley." So the movie is going to be "Don't Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley," because you never, you never hung your head down. You always kept your head high, and because exactly. you had, yeah, you had amazing success. Tom Dooley, what a great guest. You know, we probably should have done like a ten-part series, like they did on Michael Jordan, and I should have probably planned it that way, but. Thank you so much for being the featured guest on this week's United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and I hope we can do this again real soon. And you know what, Thomas? I hope to see you on the sideline of an MLS team real soon or with U.S. Me soccer. Too. Is that a deal? Me too. Yeah, me too. If you can put my name out and uh, maybe somebody would be interested in somebody wants to have Somebody wants to have success, yeah, it should call me. <laughs> Number five, Thomas Dooley. Glad your jersey. You're as good as go, Thomas Dooley. Thank you so much. Be safe. Best to your family. And thanks. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help. And who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean Linky with you. And as you've been listening of late, we are starting to meet all the members of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class. We met them actually in Baltimore at the last convention, but now we're going to get to know them each and every week. We'll try to do one of the 15 men, one of the 15 women that are part of this amazing 30 Under 30 class. Again, that's 30 young coaches doing great things around their love and passion of the game. Today we're joined by Thomas Coombs, a native of Newcastle, England. 
Coombs enjoyed a fine four-year playing career at Barry University under Steve McGrath, who we all know and love. He is a big supporter of United Soccer Coaches. He actually stayed on there as a volunteer assistant coach for a while, was there for six or seven years, getting his undergrad and his master's during his time at Barry. He scored 33 goals and 15 assists for 81 points and 61 appearances with the Buccaneers. Thomas Coombs joins us now, and he is the Boys Academy coach for Ancient City Soccer that's located in St. Augustine, Florida. Thomas Coombs. Thomas, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, so coming from Newcastle, England, tell us about your decision to come over the state to play college soccer. Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in Newcastle, as you mentioned, uh, Grew up my whole life as a as a boyhood Newcastle United fan, still am to this day. Um, but during my younger days, I actually played for Sunderland Academy. Um, so I try and keep that a little bit quiet now because they're, they're a bit of rivals. But um, I kind of missed out on that the opportunity to kind of get a professional contract with them, and I was exploring my options and and what I what kind of wanted to do with my life. Um, and then. One of the one of Steve's connections in uh, Newcastle actually seen me play and kind of reached out to Steve ahead of time, um, and then out of the blue, I kind of got a a, a message, and uh, as I was looking for colleges, I got an interest from Steve at Barry University, and the minute I found out it was uh, located in Miami, Florida, it was it was a no-brainer for me. I was I was straight across, um, looked outside my window, and it was pouring down with rain, and then I looked at, online and seen Miami beaches, and I thought, well. That's not a bad place to be spending the next four years of my life. So that's kind of how I ended up in the in the USA. Well, that's clean living, and one thing for sure. So Steve's father, Cliff, is uh, a Hall of Famer with United Soccer Coaches, and of course Steve has been really involved, particularly representing the college coaches. You had to know right away that this guy's quality, right? Yeah, obviously. Speaking of Steve, obviously the, the first thing that hit me was just just his passion and, and love for the game and. Um, obviously, as I've got to know Steve over time, I know it expands much more than just soccer. Like he cares about you as a person as well. And obviously, being a young 18-year-old uh, traveling all the way across the world, kind of uh, everything being brand new and not knowing what to expect, Steve kind of uh, you know guided me through the process, took me under his wing a little bit, and uh, made the transition very easy, um, which was nice. And um, I personally had a little bit of a struggle. My, my very first day of preseason freshman year, I. I uh, tore my ACL, so I'd made that whole transition, that whole commitment, and then uh, I was out for for a full year before I'd even kicked the ball. So Steve was a big role in that, big big part in keeping me kind of sane during that point. Um, so I, I owe Steve a lot. I've got a lot of time for him. But that had to be a heartbreaker having it happen in the first day of preseason. What do you remember about the recovery time and the support you got at Barry? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I know at the time it was horrible. I wouldn't change it for the world now. Um, it made me the person I am. I kind of realized how how deep I can dig if I want something. You know how how much I can kind of put in the time, the effort, and the energy to uh, to get back to something that I love the most. And um, obviously the medical staff at Barry were were first class, and Steve supported me um, throughout the whole journey. And, and you know many other coaches at different times might have kind of ignored me because I wasn't part of the team, but he. He made me feel like I was very much still a big part of that team. Um, even though I couldn't contribute on the field, he made sure I had a role um, in the changing room, in the in the locker room with the with the team, and made sure that um, I was still contributing any way I could. They say once at Barry, always at Barry. The success they've had in the last couple of years has been off the charts. How proud are you of your alma mater? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, obviously, I, unfortunately, I wasn't fortunate enough to be in that situation. 
to win it myself, but I know obviously myself, the rest of my teammates, everyone before me, um, they they kind of helped lay the groundwork and the culture that um, obviously that team went on to, to be victorious in. And it was amazing. I remember speaking to some of my old teammates. We all kind of um, watched the game online together and we were chatting away and just an amazing achievement and, and you know, nobody deserves it more than Steve um, for the amount of hours and effort he's put in over the years. So, delight for the team and, and hopefully it's the first of many more to come. So, Thomas, who was your inspiration to want to apply for the 30 Under 30 program? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, my inspiration, I, I kind of heard of the program, so obviously when I was at Bloomsburg, um, as I'm sure everyone that listens aware of, a well-known person called Paul Payne. Um, he was someone that kind of made me aware of it and, and kind of got me into that, uh, kind of looking into it a little bit. So once I realized that the program and what it offered and the opportunities that could come from it, um, it was it was obvious for me that I was going to apply. And um, I was very fortunate to get selected. It was a little bit surprised I got selected, but um, I'm definitely going to try and make the most of the opportunity that I have right now. So with that, what do you remember about uh, your excitement level when you were notified that you were selected? <laughs> I can say it was it was more kind of surprised as much as anything. Um, I kind of did it, you know, on the on the hope that I would get it without kind of really expecting to get it. And then um, the minute I, I got it, obviously I, I was delighted and tried to do a bit more research on um, kind of past people that had been involved, who was currently involved, where it could lead me, what kind of courses I could take, um, just everything around it. And you know, I've I've I recently take, uh, took the um, advanced national. Um, diploma and just being around the people who lead the courses and around United Soccer Coaches in general and obviously I went to the convention and just the whole setup is, is amazing really um, so the minute I found out I was in I was delighted to be a part of it Well we're delighted to have you on right now one of the key parts of the program is the mentor, who is your mentor and what kind of communication have you had? Yeah so my mentor is uh, Giovanni Pacini um, he's, been, he's been excellent with me um, you know he's really He's reached out to me on, on numerous occasions. I've reached out to him. Uh, we've corresponded. I was um, I recently moved to St. Augustine for this this job position, so he was someone I communicated with a lot when I was going through the interview process, um, running a few ideas by him, training plans to make sure um, he agrees with what I'm doing, um, various things like that. So I've been in connection with him a lot, um, and I'm actually you know haven't spoken to him for a little while. Actually, I need to reach out back out to him and kind of update him with a few things. Um, but you know, with this, this crazy time at the moment, it's um, it's been difficult to to connect with certain people because they've got their own things going on. So, but Giovanni, yeah, he's been amazing. Can't can't speak highly enough of him um, as a mentor so far. That's fair enough. You did a really nice job breaking down your aspiration to be a pro in Newcastle, and then deciding to come over because of the connection with Steve. When did you say or wake up and be like, man, I want to be a coach? What was your transformation there? <laughs> well, like I say, I, I, I've always loved being a player first and foremost. Um, unfortunately, my, my body kind of told me at a, quite a young age, obviously, with, I had the first ACL injury I mentioned, and then uh, in my junior year, I tore my ACL on my other leg. So once I finished my senior season, um, you know, the biggest part of me wanted to try and go pro and play and do all that, but I just knew it wasn't right in my body. Um, and then, you know, I, I got an a undergrad degree in business management and my master's in sport management. And I thought I'll try try my hand at the, the real world, so to speak. Um, so I had a couple of jobs and I was in kind of uh, office mode and wearing a suit and tie, doing the nine to five and stuck in rush hour traffic. And I just realized very, very quickly that that just wasn't for me. And I missed 
being around the people, uh, you know, soccer in general, the love, the smiles, all the fun around it. So I actually took up a, kind of like a um, a part-time position as a at a place called Super Soccer Stars in Miami, which is a youth setup. Just kind of keep my eye in, just to be around soccer again. Um, and then I, I once once I was in that environment, I fell in love with it, and you know I was. I was never being somebody that's motivated by money. I'd much rather be happy in what I do for work. And once I realized I could actually make a career out of coaching, um, it was something that I, you know, went, went full speed ahead of trying to pursue. You're still young. You're part of the 30 Under 30 program. And a lot of times when I ask this question, I gear it around only soccer. I'm going to try to stop doing that and just say, as you assess your life right now, what's been the greatest memory of your life? And perhaps it will be tied back to soccer, but – Wide open, what's been the greatest thing to ever happen to you? Well, that's, that's a big, big question. Honestly, Hannah had the, the biggest influence on my life was moving to America at the age of 18. Um, it was something that was terrifying for me, uh, exciting. Everything kind of rolled into one, but it's, it's without doubt uh, made me the, the man I am today. Um, going through all the, the heartbreak of not being able to play, the ups, the downs, uh, the lows. Um, it's been, you know, phenomenal achieve, uh, achievement for myself, phenomenal experience. And then um, to top it off, uh, just in case she's listening, I actually met my wife at Barry as well. Um, so, so, <laughs> so for me, that was obviously the biggest thing as well. So, just America in general, going to going to university in Miami, and then uh, meeting my wife. It's all kind of just fell in the place really nicely. Well said, Thomas. Never forget your wife. Just two more questions <laughs> for you. This one is kind of fill in the blank. United Soccer Coaches has meant the world to me because what's your answer to that they've just given me an opportunity to meet so many uh, qualified coaches people that are just have been in the game for so long have so much experience um, people that I can just kind of connect with and network with and you know pick their brains on any given topic you know there's these people at United South coaches have just been there and done it. Um, there's between everyone. I'm pretty sure there's not a question they can't answer. Although they're also humble enough where they continue to say that they're learning themselves, um, which is which is amazing. It's just a great community of of coaches and, and people to be involved with. I'll leave you with this final question, and that is: coaches have tremendous power and influence over young people. Sometimes they use that power to prop people up, and sometimes they use that power and it kind of gets in the way especially during these unprecedented times as a coach of young people, what is your message of inspiration to them as we try to get through this COVID-19 situation? For the coaches, my message would be just to kind of, you know, take an interest in the players, um, make sure that it goes beyond soccer. Everything always goes beyond soccer. You know, the, the people first and kind of soccer players second. So make sure everyone's kind of doing what they can um, just to make sure everyone's okay. And then as a soccer player, for me, it was always um, just making sure that the, the players, the young kids, enjoy it. And um, there's nothing worse, and I've probably seen it more in the college game. Is a lot of players, you know, grow up loving the game, and they get to college where it's a bit more competitive, and obviously game time is not as not as vast. Um, and players kind of fall out of love with the game. So I remember as a young kid, I, I still remember to this day some of my favorite coaches, some of the favorite things they did, uh, the way they kind of communicate with me. So. Um, it's it's important that you don't realize the influence you have on somebody else's life, especially at that young age. So just to keep it fun, uh, upbeat, and, and keep smiling.
That's an honorable answer. Thomas Coombs, Boys Academy coach, Ancient City Soccer, St. Augustine, Florida. Also a decent career, getting through two ACLs. Stayed there and got not one but two degrees at Barry under Coach Steve McCrath. And, Thomas, thanks for sharing your story here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Great to get to know you. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Thomas. Up next, another outstanding member of the 30 Under 30 class. You are going to like her a lot. Morgan Ferreira, up next. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We're talking to one or two members of the amazingly talented 30 Under 30 class. It's a program that's been going on for several years right now. And if you take a look at the track record of some of these young men and women, it's been incredible. No different today as we're pleased to be joined by Morgan Ferreira. She played collegially at UCF. She's now an assistant coach at UMass Amherst. Morgan Ferreira, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Obviously, first off, uh, we're dealing with unprecedented times where it's safety first. There's a lot of anguish as we're trying to figure out when this pandemic is going to allow us to get back to doing the things we love. So first, share with us kind of what you've been doing to keep yourself ready both physically and mentally and then also stay in contact with your players. Right. So as a staff, we've kind of reflected on what do we need to work on as a team. We've been going through each week and watching one of our conference opponents from last year and just really dissecting those games and trying to keep our soccer brain sharp. Um, but as for communicating with the girls, they just had finals, so we weren't allowed to talk to them for, for two weeks, so I miss them a lot. But we're about to get back on track having one or two weekly calls a week and just trying to have fun, really keep the girls engaged. Obviously, our strength coaches and communications with them to give them their workouts um, and handle all that. So what we're, we're really just focused on keeping them engaged, letting them see each other, having some fun, doing some Kahoot quizzes. One of our assistants got together all their baby picks from their parents, so we're going to play a guess-who game. Just trying to have a lot of fun and try to keep everyone's spirits up through these unprecedented times. Uh, but for me personally, I've been reading a ton, uh, writing, reading, working out, just trying to stay healthy and stay active uh, until all this is passed over. Well, you're actually not too far removed from getting it done as an outstanding player. You played at UCF. You were voted the AAC Offensive Player of the Year and to the United Soccer Coaches All-Southeast Region team after leaving the Knights with 13 goals and three assists in 2017, and if you played at UCF, that means you played for one of my all-time favorites, Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic and her talented husband, so I'm obviously a lot older than you, but I actually called <laughs> Tiffany's games when she was a member of the original Carolina Courage, and I was also around in 99 when she was part of that incredible team. Mm-hmm. He is a person that I describe as beautiful inside and out. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, playing for Tiff and Tim was a dream. I actually transferred to UCF, and Tiff had never seen me play. She just kind of took a chance on me, and, I mean, we see how that worked out. But she 
is the reason that I'm a coach. She inspired me to become a coach after I realized that pro soccer wasn't really for me. Um, She was the one that encouraged me to maybe want to get into coaching, Um, but I find myself emulating her in all my coaching philosophies and the way I communicate with our players. I find myself like, okay, wow, you sound just like Tiff. (laughs) And it's always fun when players kind of give us the crap that we gave Tiff and Tim. Definitely getting some payback there, but yeah, her and Tim were great role models for me and influences on my life, and she's really the reason I wanted to get into college coaching. How cool is it as well to have a couple, what I call mini Tiffany's around? Those two daughters are so beautiful. I actually babysat them throughout my whole college, so I have a great relationship with them. I was actually just recruiting in Orlando uh, before all this pandemic stuff started happening, and we ran into Tiff and Tim because UCF was playing Florida State in a spring game, and Layla and Evie just came running across the field and gave me the biggest hugs. And I still have a great relationship with them and, and the family, and they're always going to be considered some of my closest com- confidants for sure. Well, that says a lot about your personality as well for these young girls to recognize what a special person you are and for Tiff and Tim to count on you to watch their kids. That says a lot about the kind of leader you are. So you said that she inspired you to be a coach. Give us your coaching pathway so far. Again, you're just a young pup, but uh, tell us what you did after you left UCF. So when I left UCF, I trained with Orlando Pride for a while, um, and obviously they have two of the best strikers in the world, so that probably wasn't the best fit for me. So I decided to go to France for a little bit um, and kind of feel it out there, but I realized, you know, this isn't really making me happy, so I came home. Uh, and within a week of finishing up playing, I was sitting in my room in Richmond, Kentucky, which I took a coaching job at Eastern Kentucky University um, right after I got home from playing. And although it was a leap of faith, it ended up being a really good thing for me and a good way to break into the coaching world. Um, so I spent two seasons there. I also obtained my master's from there in December, and then in January I got hired at UMass Amherst. What do you remember about that interview process, particularly to get the current job you have at UMass Amherst? So it's actually a funny story. Um, Jason Doniak, the head coach there, he recruited me out of high school, uh, and I went to Mississippi State. That was when he was at Florida Gulf Coast. And then I spent a year at Mississippi State, and he went to USF at that time. So when I transferred, he also recruited me again to USF, which just so happens to be UCF's biggest rival. Uh, in my hometown um, from Tampa, Florida. So I didn't want to be that close to home. It was nothing against Jason, but I ended up going to UCF. And we always kept a good relationship over the years. Uh, when we would play USF, he obviously would talk to me. We just had a really, really great relationship. And after he got over me telling him that it was twice, uh, <laughs> after I graduated, I kept in touch with him. And uh, before I went to KU, I had even reached out and was trying to see if he had any open positions, um, but their assistant, Marsha Harper, she went to American University to be a head coach, uh, so they had an opening, and the timing just really matched up, and Jason and I were sitting together on the recruiting trail, and he was asking me all these questions to kind of help prepare me, quote-unquote, for interviews that I was about to have. The whole time, he was preparing me to be his assistant, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> so I went up to UMass, and uh, I just knew the staff, and the staff feeling felt right. It felt like a family. The other assistant, Sam Mitchell, was also my coach at UCF. So just a bunch of connections that I made. But coming from EKU uh, straight away, I just started emailing every coach that I played against, every coach that I had met on the recruiting trail, just like, hey, are you hiring? Do you know of anyone hiring? And attached my resume and hope for the best. But the fact that it aligned for, for me and Jason to finally 
finally meet up and me tell him yes, third time's a charm. Uh, really just seemed like the stars aligned and seemed like the right thing to do. That is a great story. I'm so glad you shared it. And to me, it means that family's important to you. You said you grew up in Tampa. Tell us about uh, your family there in Tampa. Yeah, I was born in Tampa. I raised in Tampa my whole life. Um, I I love Tampa. I really, really do. I'm actually sitting in Tampa right now. I came home when all the quarantine started happening just to be with my parents and my family. So still have strong Tampa ties, and I'll always consider this place home. You've dropped some key names. Of course, part of the 30 Under 30 program, as you know, Morgan, is having a mentor. Who's your mentor, and how's that going? So my mentor is Jessica Clinton. She's the head coach at Fordham. So... She actually is very good friends with my head coach, Jason Doyak, because Fordham is in the same conference as UMass Amherst. So when she found out I was taking a job at UMass, she was jokingly like, okay, guess you got to find a new mentor. <laughs> but she has been incredible. She has been incredible to me. Uh, I love being around her. She's always there when I need her and has really helped me through this whole process. So I'm really thankful for 30 Under 30 for introducing me to her. If Morgan Ferreira wasn't a soccer coach, what would she be doing? Oof. Probably writing books or playing music at a bar somewhere. <laughs> I love music. I've, I've played quite a few instruments. So just tapping into my creative side, or I eventually want to teach some college classes um, and get my Ph.D. eventually along the road. So a professor that plays music on the show, Yeah, okay, there you go. That's pretty cool. I mean, it was kind of neat seeing Grace <laughs> Lear, who played at Cal Berkeley, and she made a strong run. She was just eliminated from American Idol, but you had to be pulling for her, right? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Morgan, as uh, you think about your time in Baltimore at the convention and getting to know United Soccer Coaches, what has that organization meant to you? I mean, ever since I was even a youth player there, they've always, I've always been involved with United Soccer Coaches. Um, my recognitions throughout college always meant a lot to me. Um, and then now being in the college coaching world, the connections that I made at the convention and throughout this whole 30 under 30 process have been awesome. And the convention, it was my first one, actually. And it, although overwhelming, it was a great learning experience, and I really met a lot of great people, and I definitely look forward to returning in the future. Well, you haven't been on this earth that long, so I don't know how hard this is going to be, but if you had to pick your favorite memory as a player and your favorite memory as a coach so far, would you be able to narrow that down? Oh, absolutely. Favorite memory as a player was my senior year. We beat University of North Carolina at home in double overtime. We won 2-1, to one, and uh, Tiff was actually the first player of Anson's to beat him as a coach. So being a part of that, and I mean, it was so exciting to win in overtime. And Tiff and Tim came, and we had a big dog pile. There's a picture of me holding Tiff over my shoulder in the dog pile. Um, so that memory, I mean, that, that'll live on forever. Um but my favorite memory as a coach is actually not a big win game or anything crazy like that. But there's this player that I worked with, Sarah. Uh, she had come back from two ACL tears, and she was horrible with her left foot, horrible. Uh, so leading up when she was getting to the parts of her recovery where she was able to strike balls and work on technical stuff, we worked every single day, me and her one-on-one -on -one at EKU, and we worked on her left foot. I would do sessions with her where she was only allowed to use her left foot, um, and then her first game back in EKU uniform, she scored two goals with her left foot. And I'm over there on the sideline in tears because I'm so proud. So just that little individual development and that investment that I made in her to see it pay off and all of her hard work pay off after coming back from two ACL surgeries was just the best memory ever.
I love both those memories. You know, I live in Chapel Hill, and as I told you, I called Tiffany <laughs> Roberts' games when she played for the Courage. And after that win, we actually had her on this same podcast yep. in days right after getting that It was that a big one. Win. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, the thing about it is, even though she got that win, she was the same way she was as a player who would mark the very best players in the world right out of their shorts. And also with the Carolina Courage, she was so humble, you know. I mean, Absolutely. she's not a big, yeah. What what uh, what do you take from her in the sense that here is this elite athlete, a Olympian and World Cup champion. When you know how she carries herself, what does that mean to you? I literally just got chills with you saying all that. I think the best thing about Tiff is she was never going to take credit for the accomplishments that we made. She was always putting the power back on the players and giving us the 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 accolades and the congratulations. She was never taking credit for it. She was always so humble in, in whatever we did, especially senior year when we had the success that we did. And I think she says it best when we beat UNC that day. Anson came up to her and said, your players play just like you. And I think that was the biggest compliment for her because the work ethic that she instilled in us was exactly how she was as a player, just ruthless, competitive, always going 100%. Uh, never never letting up. That was always her mentality uh, as a player, and she definitely brings that as a coach too. So I think after we beat UNC that day and Anson told her that, she kind of felt like, okay, I'm doing something right. Like I'm instilling the proper values in my players as a coach. And I know I know she, she didn't act excited, but she was so happy. <laughs> I know that was the highlight of her career too. Indeed. Morgan Ferreira, I like your vibe. I am digging your path. I feel like you're going to go on to great things. And despite your that. youth, yeah, yeah, despite your youth, uh, if there's some young girls listening right now that are a little frustrated, maybe their high school senior campaign got cut off or maybe they're a junior and they're not quite sure how they get noticed, maybe they're just a little bit down, Morgan, do you have any words of inspiration for these young women who love the game so much? Yeah, I mean, stay patient. The world has never, in our uh, our lifetime at least, has never dealt with this sort of thing. So you're not the only one going through this. Don't feel alone in the process. I, it's going to be okay. You're going to find the right fit for you. I mean, so much is up in the air, even with our college teams. Like, we don't even know what's going to happen. So try not to get frustrated and keep your head on straight and just keep working hard. And I promise that hard work will pay off one day. And when you get to your spot and you find the right college for you, you'll look back and be like, okay, it makes sense why I waited till my senior year to commit, or it makes sense why the pandemic happened. Maybe you took your fitness to a new level or you worked on a certain aspect of your game. It'll make sense when you end up where you end up, and that day will come, and just try to stay as patient as possible. Morgan, you're a rock star. I can see why United Soccer Coaches picked you to be part of the 30 Under 30 program. I am grateful that you spent time on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Morgan, thanks so much. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it. Morgan Ferreira, is she cool or what? I want to thank her, Thomas Coombs, and the great Thomas Dooley, number five. I also want to thank Michael Knipper, Sean Chevron, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches for each and every one of them. I'm Dean Linky. Stay safe, everybody.